Um, we're going to be continuing our series through the book of Colossians. So if you guys can turn in your Bibles or if you're on your app, uh, turn to Colossians. We're going to be in chapter 1. We're going to pick up where Pastor Ryan left off. He left off at verse 23. I encourage you, if you didn't get a chance to hear that sermon, it was fantastic in the setup uh, for what's going on in the rest of the book of Colossians. Um, I want to let you know this particular passage that we are going to be focusing on today uh, is going to be heavy on the theme of suffering and maturity and definitely maturing through suffering. Uh, Paul is going to talk about his own suffering and how that has brought him to maturity and he hopes that that brings others to maturity. So I know you guys are all super excited to hear about suffering and maturity today. Uh, the title of the sermon is Suffering, Rejoicing, and Maturity. And I just want to remind you of why we study passages like this. I'm going to put up Ephesians chapter 4 on the screen, and we're just going to just touch on this. We went through the book of Ephesians before, but I want you to hear uh, why it's important that we uh, do this, why we uh, consume these verses. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, 11 says, So Christ himself, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. And so the reason that we come here to church is we are definitely here to get edified through Scripture, so be encouraged, to be strengthened, but also to go out. Look at that after verse 12. It says, to equip his people for works <clears throat> excuse me, of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. You know, I was talking to somebody uh, before the first service, <clears throat> excuse me, and they said this to me, and it was really funny. They go, I'm going to Thanksgiving, and um, I'm about to enter into a conversation, and it's going to get really hairy. Uh, we're probably going to get mad at each other and, and use some choice words. And I said, <clears throat> excuse me, I said, well, that's kind of interesting because you are able to go places to spread the word that you are learning here. So before the food fight begins... I want you to remember that you came here to church to get built up, to go do the work of service wherever you're going to go. You can go where we cannot as pastors. You have families, you have friends, you have neighborhoods, um, you have work, you know, jobs, coworkers. You can reach places that the pastors can never reach, but that's why God called you to go there. The only reason that you're coming here is to get built up to make sure that you're being filled with the Spirit, getting the right word to go into those places. So before Thanksgiving gets out of control, just remember this verse. I have been built up for the work of this service. And uh, that's what we're doing. We need to have the right tools to go into the kingdom of God to build up the kingdom of God. And that's why we're about to read the passage that we are going to read right now. So if you can, join me in Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. It says, Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, which is the church. If I could just be a human in front of you guys and very vulnerable as a pastor, that verse really bothers me. It really bothers me because look what he says. This is Paul. Like, who talks like this? I rejoice in all the suffering that I have for you. You're like, what a weirdo, right? Um, there can be a limit, right? Sometimes you feel a limit like, I'll put up with you, strike one, put up with you, strike two, strike three, I'm out, right? You know, but this guy's rejoicing in his suffering. Now, why would he rejoice? Because Paul is understanding that through the suffering, he knows what's going to be produced on the other side. 
You know, sometimes when you know that the result is desirable and you know that the outcome far outweighs the circumstances or the sacrifice, right? You will know that it's ultimately worth it. Uh, you guys might not know this about me, but I get super excited for holidays and eating. So for the past like two months, I've been eating a lot of vegetables. You know why? Because on Thanksgiving, I'm going to wear my stretchy pants. And I don't want one family member to come up with me and say, hey, you know what? That's enough pie for today. And I'm like, no, no, no. You don't know what I've suffered through the last two months. I have pushed through all the salads to arrive here today to enjoy what is the outcome, right? But that's what, we're, what Paul is saying. The outcome outweighs the sacrifice. And it's totally worth it, which is why we're going to put up our first slide. It says, there is joy in suffering by sacrificing what you love for what you love the most. I'm going to say that one more time, <clears throat> excuse me, so you can understand what it's saying there. There is joy in suffering by sacrificing what you love for what you love the most. I don't want to distract anybody right now, but there is a Miami Dolphin game being played right now. And I might actually be being saved from suffering by not watching it. But, but I am here because what's more important than all of my short-term goals is God's long-term goals. And so I will step into whatever role that the Lord has put into me because of the importance that people that have been over me, there is people that have been putting up with me and my shenanigans for years, suffering and sacrificing to see me become the person that I am today because they had their eyes on the prize. You know, we have to sometimes say there are good things in our life, but they pale in comparison to God's long-term goals. doesn't mean that those things aren't good and even doesn't mean those things aren't even for us. What it means is that we have to have that priority list. Paul is saying, I rejoice because as much as I suffer, there is a produce, there is a harvest that has come out of the sacrifice. And you want to know what it is? It's us. Paul is like, I will suffer great if in the end, my brothers and sisters make it to heaven. That's what matters to me. And so what he's saying is here is that I would walk any path that the Lord puts in front of me if that means that you guys can walk the eternal road with Jesus forever and ever. For him, he would say, is Jesus worth it? Yes. Are we worth it? Yes. See, through Christ's suffering, we have received salvation, have we not? Just think about this all the time. Christ didn't just suffer on the cross. He absolutely suffered for our sins. But did Christ suffer through the people in front of him? I mean, did they accept everything that, they, that he said? Did his own Jewish people accept everything he said? Did the Pharisees who were reading the same Bible accept what he said? No, they picked up stones and were ready to kill him. But did he still push through? Yes, absolutely, because he saw the end result would be the salvation of everybody in this room. You know, I kind of think about it this way, and the growth and maturity is, if you've ever raised a kid, you know that there is a whole process that goes beyond birth. It's like you don't raise a child and they come out of the womb being like, Father, tell me every great thing that you ever know. Impart your wisdom on me. We wish that to be the case, but that's not the case. I have a son, his name is Joey Jr., and uh, he has a serious case of FOMO. And if you don't know what FOMO is, it's the fear of missing out. So I'll take him to a park and inevitably, if you guys ever been to this park over at Barber Street, you know, they have this big park with all these high roofs on top of these play sets. So it's almost like they climb up there. If they go up on the roof, that's two stories tall. 
and he sees a bunch of kids that are a little bit older than him, and they're all climbing up to get on this roof of this playset. And my son turns and he looks at me and he's like, Daddy, help me get up there with those older kids. And I'm like, No. No, because I was your age once and I fell off of every playset. I bounced off of every branch, off of every tree I've ever climbed over. So in my wisdom and maturity, I can see through this situation and tell you this situation is not for you. Of course, what did he say? Oh, thank you, Father, for looking out for me. <clears throat> no, because the maturing process doesn't look like that. What does he say? Oh, Dad, you don't like to have fun. Now I'm a joy kill, right? As if broken bones are the most exciting thing to have in, the, you know, in his life, right? And he goes, oh, Dad, maybe, maybe you just not all, you know, maybe you just don't even not my dad. I mean, what a messy thing to say to me, right? For the person that cares for us. But if you could look at this motion, I just want you to think, think about how this applies to your life with Jesus Christ or maybe the people that God put in your life to talk into that you rejected. I looked at him, I go, son, that's like a plastic roof. And it's probably rated for like 50 pounds. There's like 20 kids up there. Give that one minute and they'll all come tumbling down. Wasn't but like 20 seconds later, the, the, the plastic roof caved in and all those kids came flying off of this two-story thing onto wood chips below. And my son looked at me and goes, those kids were so dumb for going up there. <laughs> of course, I didn't get a thank you, right? But is the, the maturing process, is it always easy? Are you always going to get praised for it? But is it worth it? I will tell you, not taking my kid to the ER for a broken bone was worth it to me, but it was ultimately worth it to him whether he knew it or not. So we have to sometimes think about the suffering and the sacrificing that is being called to us is to mature people to flourish in the kingdom of God. It's not always going to be easy. It's going to be messy. And so there is a rejoicing in the suffering, is there not? As you've seen somebody be raised up in Christ and grow, how much further along are you today than the first day that you met Jesus Christ? How much have you matured in your spiritual walk through time and time again, the Lord pressing and leaning into you, and you even said, no, God, not this way. My timing is better. God, if you only did it my way, it would work out so much better, only to find out in retrospect, God's way was better. For me, it's 100% of the time. 100% of the time, God's way is better. Now, let's go to the second part of this verse, which can be very confusing. I want you to see what it says. It says, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, which is the church. Now, that can be weird uh, kind of a sentence to read because some of us would say, the only reason that we're here is because God finished that work on the cross, right? Like there's nothing lacking in Christ's flesh because he was nailed to the cross for us. But I want to let you know that, that Paul is not challenging the cross. He's not even belittling or mocking what Christ did on the cross because even he would acknowledge that Christ went up on the cross. And what were the final three words he said? He said, it is finished. The way that that word is unpacked in the Greek is the debt has been paid. There's no much more to, for us to do in salvation. All of our salvation rests in Christ's blood. That's it. We are here because Christ died on the cross. Now, what he is saying, though, is that Christ's body is no longer here in this particular way. Christ went into the ground, right? He was resurrected, and then he ascended to the right hand of the Father. So Christ's body is no longer here. But what is physically Christ's body here on the earth? The church. So the church is now walking out and going to have conversations, reaching the lost, laying hands, praying on people, and going places that maybe sometimes, have you ever met somebody that's never even talked about Jesus, knew about Jesus? 
That's the, that's the lacking that he's saying right there. So it says here, in my flesh, what is still lacking in regard to Christ's affliction, has Christ reached everybody yet? No. Has this church reached everybody yet? No, because we haven't had every uncomfortable and difficult conversation yet. And that's what he's saying. So he's not challenging the cross. He's saying there is yet to be suffering that is going to come, right? And we understand that because if anyone has ever loved or cared for somebody who has not accepted Jesus Christ, you suffer for them, do you not? And so that conversation hasn't come to the place where they've turned to you after much conversation, maybe much debate, and they turned and said, you know what, I'm finally ready to give my heart to the Lord. So there is still lacking in our flesh because there's still more work to do. So that's what he's saying there. And though we would say this, um, the head of the body is never far away from the pain. Understand what I'm saying right here. He's saying that the body of Christ is suffering, but Jesus is not disassociated with that because he's up in heaven, right? He's actually very close. Remember, Christ is the head of the body. Look at this verse on the screen, Colossians chapter one earlier. It says, and he is before all things and in him all things are hold together. And he is the head of the church or head of the body, the church, right? And so the head is always aware of what's happening to the body. Um, I don't know if you've ever been in this situation. Have you ever banged your foot off something really sharp and metal? Have you been like, so I was in the garage. I think I have to take this up with Jesus later. I think he did this for a sermon illustration. I made the mistake of going into the garage and cleaning it with my shoes off. And I banged right off a piece of metal like it was a weight. And my pinky toe caught it. And there was like one second from when the pinky toe made contact and my brain were like, oh, that's going to hurt. You know what I'm saying? Like immediately my brain started going, what are we going to do to fix this before the pain sets in, right? Like, and of course, I'm, I'm yelling at myself for not wearing shoes and all this. But then I started making these noises like, and the pain hasn't even set in. Because why? Because I know it's going about to hurt really bad. And then I used strong language like this. I went, oh, Jiminy Cricket, that hurts. A second later, but I started preparing. I, I grabbed my kid's drink because it had ice in it. I'm holding it against my toe. My kid's like, hey, I was drinking that. Dad, why are you saying Jiminy Cricket? I've never heard that before. All this is taking place because the head is in go mode, right? The head is understanding what the, what the toe is feeling. It's not far away. In fact, it's one body feeling it together. Understand that the pain that you feel while you are suffering is very personal to Jesus Christ. He is there. He is attached. He is not far away and he is feeling, but he's also preparing an answer to the pain. I want you to see how that played out in Paul's very life before he got converted. Look at Acts chapter nine. It's on the screen. Some of you might not know this. His name originally was Saul as his name was being called. And he was almost like a terrorist for Christians. He, he was like the, at that time, the Hamas against Christians. He was a Jewish leader that was rounding up Christians, sending them to prison killing them, all kinds of things, ripping families apart because he didn't want Christians in his country. And on the way to Damascus, he got uh, presented the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look at this. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And he fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute my beloved Christians? Is that what he says? Does he say, Saul, Saul, why did you touch my favorite Calvary Chapel, Sebastian? No, he says, Saul, Saul, why did you persecute me? The attack was on the church, but Christ is claiming it as his. Look at the response. Who are you, Lord? 
Jesus says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. You have to understand that Christ is very much connected to your suffering, understands your suffering, is walking through that suffering, and is also providing a solution on the other side. Your suffering is not in vain. In fact, it's actually an affirmation to the people that are around you that if you stay close to Jesus through this process and the victory comes through Jesus, you have just now proven to the world that Jesus is not only real, he's real in you, and it could also be real in the other person. And that is what we are contending to do as a group. We are going out there to have the difficult situations because the world is a mess. The world is full of sin. The world is full of death. And when light hits the darkness, the darkness scatters. But not always is that a clean process, is it? Sometimes you shine the light in a dark place and you can see the cockroaches scatter, right? But why is that? Because that, that particular situation needs work. And that is what we're doing. We are shining light in dark and broken hearts and there is work to be done. Now look at his response to that work. Verse 25. I've become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. And that means to complete it. Now, what is that completion? Well, verse 26 is the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations. But now it's disclosed to the Lord's people. I want to stop there for a second. I want to say this. The Lord's word, the Lord's work in the word, the truth has always been the same from the Old Testament to the New Testament. But think of it like a flower. Like we have a hibiscus in front of our house. And when there's a bud, have you ever seen a hibiscus bud? It's like a big green bud. You know it's not going to be anything other than a hibiscus, right? But is it yet fully revealed? No, it is not fully revealed. So the Old Testament, it was inside of Israel. In the New Testament, it's here in this church today. I want you to see what the mystery is now revealed. Verse 27. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So wanted to say right now, this could seemingly be like a huge um, like thing that like we just gloss past. But in the days of Paul, this was a massive revelation. It would be a weird thing to go to a church in the beginning, right after Jesus ascended to heaven, it would be chock full of Jewish people that had converted into Christianity, Right? And then all of a sudden, you showed up with a Gentile. And they're like, yeah, the mystery's unfolded. We're going to bless these people. And they'd be like, this dirty Gentile, this uncircumcised, unbelieving Gentile is not going to come in here. Where will he sit? Not by me, I hope. That's the mystery to these people. Now, I'm going to say this. 2,000 years later, do we believe that Gentiles can get saved? 100%. Is there any Jewish Christians in the room today? Raise your hand. One. Good. There's the mystery unfolded. Any Gentile Christians in the room? Aren't you glad that the mystery has been unfolded? Amen. And so what he's doing here is saying something very specific that stands out. Now, the mystery is in Christ. We know that we needed Christ. We know as sinners that we needed a Messiah, and that's the revelation to us, right? Even to the Jews, they needed Jesus Christ. Now, listen to what happens next. Look at this part where it says here, which is Christ in you. The Greek is closer to this, which is Christ among you. Remember we said when we were talking about the monthly Monday prayer, if two or more are gathered, Christ will be there in their midst. So it's saying here, no matter who's in the room, if Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior, he's there. It doesn't matter what your background is. doesn't matter where you started. doesn't matter what your heritage. doesn't matter your culture. It doesn't matter where you start. It matters where you end. And if you end in Jesus Christ, you have ended well. 
What he's saying here is that that plural word you, it's a, it's a us. It's more than just an individual you. It's the you plural in the room. He's saying to us right now, the revelation goes like this, that where Christ is preached, Christ abounds. And it doesn't matter if they're a Gentile or a Jewish person, Christ is going to be the light to the world. For God so loved the world. And that's why we are here 2,000 years later. We have been united to Christ through the Spirit, and that would have blown Jewish people's minds at the time. I want to show you how deep this goes. Back in Ephesians chapter 2, we went over Ephesians a couple books ago, but I want you to see this verse. We may read it, like I said, and might miss it, but it was very deep. It's going to be on the screen. Look at verse 12. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ. He's talking to Gentiles. Excluded from the citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise. Without hope and without God in the world. That's what we once were, right? But now in Christ Jesus, you were once far away. So it's meaning Gentiles. We were spiritually far away. You have been brought near by the blood of Christ. I'm going to stop there for a second to let you know what's going on. Paul, being a Jewish person and a rabbi, was in Jerusalem at this time where he's talking about this. And in the book of Acts, he actually brought a bunch of, Jewish, uh, a bunch of Christians, a bunch of Gentile Christians to the court of the, of the temple, right? So if you've ever seen a picture of the temple, right? You know, it was like a, a rectangle building, but they would have this big wall, or it's called a partition. So there was like a curtain that went all the way around the temple, and there was a court for the Gentiles. So even if I was a Gentile who converted to Judaism, if I got to that curtain and they would say, are you a Gentile? And I said, yes, they would say, you can go no further. Doesn't matter what, how I worship the Lord. Doesn't matter how much I love the Lord. Doesn't matter how much I give to the temple. I have no access against this wall, right? This big curtain that goes all around. I can see the top of the temple. I can't go in and worship. How does that affect you? Paul goes, I want to unveil this, this mystery to you. Christ came, he died on the cross, and what happened to the veil? We have access to God through Christ's blood. We no longer need a Jewish priest, amen? We have access to the throne room of God through Christ's sacrifice. So Paul does something like, have you ever been to a movie theater and you ever seen a kid walk up to the back exit and let all his friends in? <laughs> this is basically what Paul did. Paul walks up to the curtain He's a Jewish person, so he can do this. He moves it, and he moves the curtain to the side, and he lets all these Christians in. Oh my gosh, how did you let Gentile Christians into the Jewish temple? That's why there was a riot, and that's why Rome had to come and arrest him and pull him away because they thought everybody was going to kill each other, right? But he walks him over and he goes, You see, this is the temple. We used to worship here, but the blood of the Lord has now ripped the veil, and now we have access to Jesus Christ, I mean, to God through Jesus Christ through our heart, because our hearts have become the living temple of the Most High. Where once there was just a Shekinah glory and a man that would be separating us from that place in a veil, no, Jesus has come to live and sit on a mercy seat that is your heart. So we are here now. Now look what he says in verse 14. So this is how he relates that to those people. For he himself is our peace, who has made two groups one, and he has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. That's that wall of partition I was talking about. That curtain's come down. By setting aside in his flesh the laws with its commands and its regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. 
He came and he preached to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Now look at this last part. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Can you imagine being a Christian standing in that court with Paul that day? To say you are no longer a a, a Jewish Gentile who is converted to Christianity and you have to stand outside of the curtain and look in. No, God's come to you. God has united to you. God has brought you in one spirit to make one body, which is the church. And that's what he's saying. So of course, yes, the Bible, its landing spot was Israel, right? We've had Jewish prophets. We have a Jewish Messiah. We're reading a Jewish book, you know, right? That comes for a Jewish Jesus, right? But guess what? The final goal wasn't Israel. The final goal was the world. And that's what we're doing. So the only qualification that we need is to have unity through Christ. Huge revelation to them. So before, you were outwardly acting like a Jew, right? You had to go through the ceremonies. You had to go through the process. But look what Paul says in Romans chapter 2. A person is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is the circumcision of the heart by the spirit and not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God, excuse me. So salvation is an event, right? We are born again under Jesus Christ. So everybody here has been born again if you call yourself a believer. But like I said in the beginning, do you come born again going, all right, Jesus, show me everything you got and I will follow you all the way to the point of death? No, maturing and growing is a process. And so we're going to put up this slide. It says, maturity is an inside-out transformation that begins with building our faith on the firm foundation of Christ. Every single person here has walked through, if you are a believer, walked through the event of salvation, but the work has only just begun. I don't know if you remember in Philippians, God will complete the work that he has begun. If you've ever spent any time with teenagers, you know this to be true. But that's what he's saying right here in Romans and Ephesians and Colossians, right? Everywhere that the name of Jesus Christ is preached, every place that the word is being lived out, like we hear the word and we become doers of the word, we love the Lord, we obey the Lord, we have become the light of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter if we're Jewish or not. It doesn't even matter Um, If we look like you think a Christian should look like, the only thing that matters is that Christ resides in your heart. But out of that will come the fruit of salvation, which would be the work of maturing, right? And so that's what the Lord is saying here right here is that we need to stop looking at people on the outside and start looking for the content of their character inside of their heart. Does their life look like Jesus? Because I want to let you know, the Jewish religious establishment was the one that rejected Jesus, right? Because he didn't look, think, or feel like the Jewish person that they thought he should be. But he was not coming to change the world outwardly. He was coming to change the world inwardly. And so that's the process that we're in. So when people come in here and they don't look or smell or act or think, we should just go, you know what? God's just begun the work and we should start rolling up our sleeves even if we have to put on some gloves and dive right in with Jesus. Because I want to tell you this, the only reason that I am here is because the people that poured into me suffered and sacrificed through all of my shenanigans so that I could become the man of God before you today. If somebody had given up on me, I promise you I probably would not be here. 
the fruit and the harvest that you see before you, the man that is preaching the word of God, is because I had a mom who never stopped praying for me all the nights I snuck out. Or a youth pastor that wouldn't give up and call me and call me and call me and come by my work and come by my house and pick me up and take me out for a cup of coffee and pour into me. And I would just say the most ridiculous things to him, most like probably sacrilegious things to him. And yet, where am I at today? Because the sacrifice was worth it. And so what we need to do is understand that we don't look on the outside, we look at the heart. And if, like I said, we have to, we have to roll up our sleeves and do the work with the Lord. Now, what does that work look like? Look at verse 28. He'll tell us. He is the one we proclaim. It's Jesus. We're all, that's what he's talking about, the one. Admonishing and teaching everyone with wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. So what is this labor? What is this? We're doing things. It's not enough to, for Jesus to leave the 99 to, to go get the one sheep, right? We know that verse. But what do we do when we bring the sheep back? Then the work begins, right? And so look what the work looks like. It says we have to admonish. We have to proclaim. We have to teach. We have to warn. That's what admonishing means. Has everyone ever been rebuked? Has anyone been rebuked by Jesus? Has anyone ever been admonished by Jesus or scolded or reprimanded by a mentor? Says, come on, you know better than that, right? Have you ever spent any time in the word and had the word convict your heart? Right, that is the work that is daily sanctifying us. That word proclaiming is announcing and teaching is closer to educating. All of this combines to an, a one word that we may have heard in the church today, but it might sound a little bit different. It's counseling. We're all in counseling with Jesus Christ, right? We're all being counseled towards becoming a more closer image of the image of Jesus Christ. And so that's what we're doing. But I want you to notice one verse that's gonna challenge all of you right now. Look at the last part of verse 28. So that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. I'm gonna read that to you one more time. So that we, say that's me. That's me, right? That we is me. Present everyone fully mature in Christ. That means there are people that you have in your life right now that you may not even realize it, that you are pouring into spiritually, that one day God's gonna come to you and go, now present that disciple of yours fully mature in me. How's your report card doing right now? Some of you guys have seen him. His name is Josh. He's a young man that serves with me. Uh, in the youth ministry. He's come up here and t taught a couple times and he has done a masterful job. He's passionate about Jesus Christ. He's growing in the Lord. I couldn't ask for a better disciple, but I would be seriously questioning myself if God was like, bring out Josh. Present him fully mature to me. Show me how much of a good job you've done pouring me into him because that's a commandment. It's sitting right there so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. If you have ever gone on a mission trip, it's really exciting to go to another country, witness to someone, have them give their heart to the Lord, and then you get on a plane and fly back to America. It's really, really hard to now present them to somebody else who now has to begin to do the work of maturing them. There are people in your life, and I don't know if God is speaking to you right now, and you may have even said these words, that Lord Jesus, they're too much. I give them back to you. But God has called you to be the hands and feet and even maybe the arms of, of Jesus Christ to catch them, hold them, and wash them. And they may seem like a mess, but who of you would be here if somebody else didn't do that for you? 
because they poured the love of Jesus Christ that they have received into you selflessly. And so that's what the Lord is saying. Be on point. That's why we have to say these words. Look at this slide. Christ has suffered to bring us salvation. Our job is we suffer to spread it. God has done that heavy lifting on the cross and God has done that heavy lifting of even saving them in their heart. But who's going to raise them? Who's going to pour into them? Who's going to mature them? Who's going to set them up to be the next generation? I challenge you, if you are in this room and you have received anything good from the Lord, then I challenge you to go into the kids' ministry and teach the next generation so that they can be raised up to go ahead and teach the next generation. If you're smarter than the average bear because you've been in church for a while, it's time for you to bring on some disciples. It's time for you to walk around this church and say, who is hurting? Because there's plenty of hurting people inside the church. People that need to be grown, people that need to be matured. I want you to see the one word that he says in there that's so fantastic. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy. Has anyone ever like been alone with kids for more than 24 hours? You know, my wife would say this comment before I've heard my grandfather say it. I was so tired, I fell asleep before my head even hit the pillow. And I was like, that's a, that's, I've never had that, because I usually lay in bed, like my brain's going, it takes me like hours to fall asleep. But one time my wife went to a woman's retreat. I was like, this is great, you go be with the women, that'll be great, you'll praise, you'll worship, you'll come back filled with the fire of the Holy Spirit, that'll be great. I'll take the kids for the weekend, no problem. I swear to goodness, they asked me every question that you can think you could ask. Nothing physically happened. Like, nothing went crazy. The house didn't burn down. It was just questions. Question after question. Daddy, why do birds fly? Why is sky blue? I mean, it was, but it was nonstop, right? Why are you soft right here, Daddy? Why do when I punch you, it jiggles? I was like, please, do you have anywhere to go? Do you have any toys you can go play with? When my wife finally came home, I said, praise the Lord. Did you get filled with the Holy Spirit? Here's your sons. They missed you. And I ran to the bedroom. And I jumped in the air, and I kid you not, my head was asleep before I hit the pillow because I had to strenuously contend with all of my energy to answer the questions of these young little minds. How many young Christian minds are in this room that are desperately seeking the information of Jesus Christ that you already have? And all you have to do is be there for them. You might have to sacrifice some energy, but is it worth it? Yes and amen, it's worth it, Paul is saying. He's saying, we suffer to spread that energy, but it's so why? But here's the, here's the way what removes the excuse. All the energy, what's the next part? Christ so powerfully works in me. We have no excuse to, to not go into these situations because we would say, but Lord, it's tough, it's difficult. And Christ says, I go in with you. My power and my authority is in you. Will you go? Will you, will you suit up and will you show up? That's the call right here. Now, chapter two, look what it says. I want you to know how hard I'm contending for you. And those at Laodicea, and for those who have not met me personally, my goal is that you may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that you may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this is so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. I love how he writes this part of the letter because I don't know if you remember this from the first part that Brian did. He's never even met these people. 
And this is how hard he's fighting for them to stay close to the faith. Have you ever been to another church at any point and just connected with people? Next thing you know, you're getting hugs and kisses. You never met these people. They're inviting you over. Casseroles are coming out. You know, like it just the next thing you know, you're having food with people, but they feel like family. That is how hard that Paul is fighting for this family he hasn't even met. Now, I want you to notice another thing he's doing. He's taking out all emotion. He's taking out all kind of like feeling out of the situation and just appealing to a mental side. He's saying, I'm contending with you. I want you to focus on that word contending in this next verse. Look at 2 Corinthians on the screen. I want you to see what he means by contending. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I've received the Jews, from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I've been beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from the rivers and the danger from the bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews and in danger from Gentiles. That pretty much is everybody. In danger in the city, I've been in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. I just want to let you know that point right there, he's saying, if the emotional toll was going to take its toll and cut me off, I would have quit a long time ago. If this was all about emotion, but when emotions leave, what's left? The truth. And this is the truth that is on his heart. He feels the love of Jesus Christ this way. Look at verse 28. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. He is saying here, I am sacrificing my short-term pleasure for the long-term gain. I want you to go back to that verse part of verse 1 in chapter 2. It says, I want you to know how hard I am contending for you. That word contending is close to the Greek word agon, or is the word that we have is agonize. What he's saying is, more than the beating, more than the suffering, more than the sacrificing. You know what keeps me up at night? You know what worries me? Is that the people in this room never walk away from the faith. That the people of this room never walk away from church, never walk away from the church family. I want you to know that I am committed to you for the long haul. Yes, you have been delivered through salvation, but we are not a pretty people because what Seinfeld says in his great theology, the church is made up of people and the people are the worst we are going to be messy. We are going to disappoint each other. Are we all going to grow together forward towards Jesus Christ? Yes, absolutely. And that's how we mature. Maturity takes a lifetime and we must make that investment inside of this church. But how do we mature? I want you to look at the three words he puts in that section. It's wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. We're going to put that up on the screen. This is how you know how to mature other people. You must be able to grasp the truth. Has anyone learned a lot about the Bible from the first day that they've been saved till now? Has anyone learned anything new? I want to let you know how awesome of a miracle that is. The Bible says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, but what has been revealed by the Spirit. No person can just pick up the Bible and automatically start understanding it. It has to be revealed to them by the Spirit, which means the Spirit has put a ministry in you. And so as the Spirit has put that ministry in you, you can now say to somebody else, I know what that verse means. I can teach that verse because look at the next part. From wisdom comes knowledge. Are you able to show somebody how that's true? 
I can show you that this is a truth. And how do I show you? In my own life, which needs us, leads us to the next section. Understanding. So there's wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. Are you able to apply the truth? Can you lead other people to the truth of Jesus Christ because it's already happening in you? Then you have been equipped and prepared for the works and services of the kingdom of God. I now pronounce you all ministers of the word. Go forth and be fruitful and multiply. This all can be all super serious and heady and deep until you realize there's only one key that locks unlocks all this treasure. You don't have to go to Bible college. You don't have to be a seminary, PhD. You just have to know Jesus Christ. You don't need to really fully know what the Bible says about forgiveness to feel the forgiveness that you've received from Jesus on the cross, amen? You don't need to know what it means to have all of your shame and guilt wiped out when Jesus sends it into the sea of forgetfulness. You don't need to know the ins and outs of that. You just know that it happened for you, that your burden is gone and Christ bore that on the cross and you are now a new creation. You are the living, walking advertisement of Christ's goodness. And you don't have to look further than Christ to see the effect on your life, to show somebody else. You don't take me, Joey, would you come to my house? My neighbor is a nut job. I need you to preach to him. No, God sent you. God sent you to your family. God sent you to your neighbors. God sent you to your coworkers to do what? To show them the work of the Lord already in you. And so we just have to pursue Christ. And I will tell you this, the more that I pursue Christ, the weaker that all other arguments have come in my life. Christ is bigger and stronger. So with that said, we're gonna take a small moment of evaluation and pray. How are you doing with your maturing in Christ? What is your plan for growing in knowledge and wisdom and understanding of the Lord? And then I'm going to ask you one final question. Is there somebody that God has put on your heart that you need to get back to because you need to continue presenting them mature toward the Lord? Maybe you've given up on them. Maybe you've stopped returning their phone calls. Maybe there's just a place in your heart today that you need to pick up where you left off and continue the work that God has begun in you and now finish it in them, right? Amen. So if that's somebody in your life, I just pray with you because I have people, I'm going to be real with you in front of you, there's people that I've had to say, Lord, no, not me. Not me, that's too difficult. This week I've had to pick up the phone. So I'm gonna say, if we can, bow our heads, close our eyes, and let's just ask the Lord to move. Lord, thank you. Thank you for unveiling all of your treasure to us. You are a good God. We don't deserve all of the good things that you give us and yet freely they flow from you like an infinite fountain and we just receive. That's our job is just to receive the goodness of God. So Lord, let us become a fountain of the goodness of God to the people that need it. There are people in our lives that are hurting. There are people that are lost. There are people that are locked in darkness. Let us be light to them. But for us to have the light, we need a deep, rich understanding of you, Jesus, to give the light. So if there are some of us that have been denying you in some ways or not pursuing you, let us make room for you, Lord. Let us grow and mature as Christians so that we could raise up more Christians, new brothers and sisters in Christ who belong in heaven with you, but they need to hear the gospel through us. Lord, work powerfully in us. If Paul needed you, Lord, we need you. Work powerfully in us. Let there be chains broken. Let doors fly wide open. Let where walls were once there, break them down so that we can preach the word of Jesus Christ to those who need it the most. But we need you. Work in us. 
guide us. We love you and thank you for what you're going to do in us this week. In Jesus' name, amen.